What's going on, everybody? Thanks for tuning in to the J-Ham Special, where I love to talk about Magic the Gathering, Warhammer 40k, Dungeons New Dragons, and other aspects of my nerdy life. My name is John. I'll be the host for this episode of Magic Monday. I know it's been a while since I've done one, but I wanted to uh, bring one out with the new year. So let's talk a little about Magic the Gathering and a format that I really do enjoy getting to play, even though it's not my primary one or even the one I make, primarily make content around, Commander. And specifically making budget decks for the commander format. So without further ado, let's dive on in. Now, Magic the Gathering is one of my cheaper hobbies that I've had an opportunity to kind of jump into, and one of the cheaper games that I do play. D&D being the cheapest because you can literally get everything for free with Dungeons & Dragons. Magic used to be able to get started for free, but uh, that's not really how it goes anymore. And Warhammer, let's just not talk about that because, I mean, buying one box of a squad of guys is like 60 bucks. So it does get pretty pricey. But for those of you that are kind of in that in-between spot and you're trying to play a game that is pretty unanimous, pretty well known around the world, and at a bunch of different local gaming stores that usually get sponsored by them, Magic the Gathering is a huge focal point for a lot of tabletop players. Maybe you are somebody who already plays the game. Great. Welcome, fellow player. But maybe you're also somebody who is brand new, or maybe you haven't even tried out EDH, also known as Elder Dragon Highlander, or also known as Commander. What you need to know is in the game of Magic the Gathering, you are essentially playing a, um, a planeswalker. It's essentially what you've been titled as. You're somebody who travels from world to world. Think of it as if it's like Marvel's multiverses where you're going from one world to another one where things might be a little bit different and twisted or rather think of it as if you are going through space to an entirely different other galaxy um, and jumping onto a world that might have some simula similarities but be completely different. You might be on the gothic horror world of Innistrad which just came out with Crimson Vow not too long ago. Um, but then you might planeswalk and go to another dimension or another world or another plane in this game's case. Um, it might end up on Zendikar, which is more of a, it was a D&D inspired, but a very lush, adventurous world out there. You might end up on Ixalan, which is ruled by pirates and um, different tribes and conquistadors. Or you might end up on the plane that has had so many sets take place on it, Dominaria, which is kind of your... I don't want to say it was it's your standard bog uh, fantasy type, because it's not, but they do have some of it in there, so you've got some knights and you have some dragons, but you also have like artificers and inventors and schools of wizards and all kinds of other things in there too. But you can even play in the Forgotten Realms too. If you're somebody who already plays D&D and maybe you've jumped in on that side and you're like, oh cool, I'm picking up the cards from this set, then that is totally fine too. But the whole goal of the game is to essentially beat your opponents. You want to be the last one standing at the end of the day, or be the last team if you're playing something like Two-Handed Dragon, where you and a buddy are taking on another opponent and their friend. And there's a lot of different variations, a lot of different ways to play the game, and there's a lot of ways that you can build different decks for it. Today, I want to talk about Elder Dragon Highlander or Commander. It is the most popular casual format out there because it's designed to be played with multiplayer. It's not designed for 1v1 competition, and heck, it's not really designed with competition in mind. It was created by a bunch of rules lawyers to kind of sit down, get to play with some magic cards without it being a competitive state. The way it works and the way it was invented back in the day is you would take an Elder Dragon 
uh, which was a legendary creature, had three different colors tied to each one of them. So you had like Nicol Bolas. He uses the Grixis colors of red, blue, and black. And that defines their color identity. They are essentially the commander. They are the general. They are the one that is leading the entirety of the deck. And so every card you include in your deck must include blue, black, red, or colorless. You are not able to include a green card into a Nicol Bolas deck. You are not able to include a white card into a Nicol Bolas deck. If you do, that's illegal. You can't do that. You'd have to go find a different commander to go play with. The other little caveat here outside of having that commander that hangs out in the command zone uh, that you will have access to every single game and every time you pull out your deck is your deck. Your deck is 100 cards total, including your commander. So your library or deck is 99 cards. Every card in this game has a name, has a color cost, has power, toughness, and a ability usually tied to it. Something that the card does. You can only have a card, a named card, once in your Elder Dragon Highlander deck. That's where the Highlander comes into play. If you ever watch the movie, there can only be one. That's how they got the name. It's a singleton format, so if you have a copy of, I don't know, Knight of the Reliquary in your deck, you cannot have a second copy of Knight of the Reliquary in your deck, even though you might really, really, really like the fact that they have that sacrifice and go look up another land, and then they also get bigger with all the lands in your graveyard. You can't do that. That's not how this functions. That's not how this works. The only exception that you can have more than one card of the same name is basic lands and cards that have it written on there saying that you can have more than or you can have any number of these cards in there. So I forget which rats they are, but um, Dark Apostle is one of them, where you have this cultist that if you have, I don't know, I think it's like six of them, and you sacrifice all six of them, you get to go get like a demon card from your library and go stick it on the battlefield. I know a lot of people that make, uh, make a lot of those decks that kind of function that way, but literally it has it printed on there that your deck can have as many copies of this card in there. Typically, most casual decks, most modern decks, standard decks that you find, you get four copies of a card, EDH or Commander, you only get one. So you might be thinking to yourself now, okay, that was really complicated. <laughs> and I'm sorry if it was. I was just trying to really break it down and dumb it down for anybody that maybe has no idea what it is, what magic is, but that's effectively what EDH is. It's designed for you. Now, some people do have a competitive EDH playgroup that they will jump in where you're out to just straight destroy somebody as fast as you can, play a bunch of unlimited combos, tutor off, do all kinds of things where it just feels like you don't get to play the game or they lock you out. It's like, okay, this isn't fun at all. And I can tell you this much, Commander is a lot more fun when you have at least three people playing. Now, four is a really good sweet spot. Five is really good. Six, it starts pushing you a little bit, but it's still possible. Six is the most that I've played with at one time, and I was teaching a bunch of new players how to play, and that game lasted forever. Granted, I was teaching a bunch of new players who have never played Magic before, and we went from midnight to six o'clock playing with that game before everybody kind of like had to say, hey, let's just drop the game so we can go get ready to go to like the church and stuff. Fortunately for me, mine didn't start till 11 o'clock, so I still got a little nap in after the game, but it was a lot of fun. We enjoyed it. 
but Commander is not super beginner friendly, in my opinion. I think you're going to have a lot better time playing a standard or playing the arena format or, you know, finding somebody else who already plays and kind of learning from them. If you are a brand new player who has never played Magic the Gathering ever, Commander is going to be a hard spot for you to jump in and play especially if you don't know how the cards work or anything else. So this episode, I am going to be kind of speaking to a lot of you that already know what magic is. Maybe you have a basic understanding of how to play the game. If you have nobody friend-wise that plays magic, I would recommend you download Magic the Gathering Arena. It's completely free to play. There are places where you can spend money on the game, but you don't have to. If you grind a little bit, play a bunch of matches, do the little daily objectives, you can earn gold, open up booster packs, and have a lot of fun. And for the sake of us talking about EDH or Commander, they have kind of their their version of it on there, since EDH is a little bit different, called Brawl. Now, Brawl allows you to use Planeswalkers and lets you use legendary creatures. Uh, it's still Singleton, and if you're doing Historic Brawl, same rules apply. You got a 100-card deck, Singleton, using a creature or a Planeswalker, and they're your color identity. They are your commander. And that's a completely fine place for you to start off, learn the game. It's got a little tutorial that teaches you how to play spells, how to tap lands, do all the rest of that jazz. It's good to go. But there's nothing quite like learning how to play with paper, with friends, around your kitchen table, or at your local gaming store. So, maybe you're somebody who said, alright, I want to build some budget decks. I want to have more than just the one deck I have. Maybe you want to get somebody else new into the game. That's completely fine. I'm going to tell you about some ways you get started into Commander. Now, the first step you can go, probably the easiest step for yourself to just jump in and have somebody to start playing right away, I would recommend you go check out one of the Commander pre-cons. Now, local gaming stores, Walmarts, Targets, big box stores, um, they have Magic the Gathering spots available, just about every one of them. I know for a fact I walk around my Walmarts and walk around my Targets and I see a bunch of these different Magic the Gathering products out there and I happen to see Commander Precons. Now Precon is short for Preconstructed Deck. It's something that Wizards of the Coast, the guys who make the game, and by guys, I mean guys and gals and whatever you identify as, but the guys that make the game also make these decks. Now they're not the most powerful decks in the world. They're not necessarily going to break the format or break the bank, really, um, because they're selling them. I think it's $45 now. Now, whenever I got into Commander, I was buying those things for like, I think it was $35 to buy a deck. Price has gone up a little bit, and the quality or the power level of the decks hasn't necessarily gone up, but most of the time what they do is they have a Spotlight Commander at the front of their deck. And then they have two other Commander legendary creatures that you could use as your Commander that follow the same color identity that you can use in the deck as well too. So you functionally have one somewhat okay deck that has a theme that goes along with it and you've got a couple other legendary creatures that if you wanted to splinter off and maybe build or tweak a, a deck specific to them either using the cards from that pre-constructed deck or going out and just building a brand new deck from scratch with those ones that's a great way to go. I bought a couple of uh, pre-cons back in my day. I got started back in 2015. So the commander decks I had available to me was Baron of Net Clan Neltoth, which I still have and I still absolutely love. And then I also picked up the Mizzix. If I remember correctly, I think it's Mizzix of the Magnus. I'm not entirely sure, but Mizzix um, was the other one. So it was a red and blue deck for Mizzix, and it was a green-black deck for Marin. Um,
And inside of those pre-constructed decks, actually now I think it might have been 35 or it could have been 40. I don't quite remember. I don't know if my LGS, I got a discount or what have But regardless, price-wise, I got those decks. And in Marin, I also got Gerard, Golgari, Lichlord. Now, that was a cool deck because Gerard actually worked pretty well with the graveyard. Marin liked having things in the graveyard, and he liked having things in the graveyard. So all of the cards in the deck really functioned really well with getting things into the graveyard. The other thing that Marin really liked is creatures dying. So the more my creatures died, the better off it was. And I, uh, I think his name was Kazdor or something along those lines. I didn't honestly play with him too much. I know a lot of people who think he's a really powerful commander, and I kind of think he is. Josh Lee Quiet from the Command Zone, he, uh, he talked about him as well too. But he's a green-black insect bug dude. And effectively what he can do is every time a creature is sacrificed or I think anytime a creature dies on your side he gets bigger and stronger gets plus one plus one counters on him and I don't really remember what the rest of him does but he's a flyer and he's pretty big he's all about creatures dying pretty much so you got Marin who's a the pre-con like spotlight card where you've got her on the battlefield and then you got all the rest of these other guys that you can go through and say all right perfect Gerard wants things to go into the graveyard. He wants more creatures in the graveyard because he gets bigger because of that. Great. I'm already doing that. Marin likes things going in the graveyard. Marin likes to pull things back out from the graveyard. So it works very well to do like a self-mill strategy and allow your creatures to die so that way you can bring out your bigger, badder creatures pretty easily. And that was a very good, easy beginner deck for me. I feel like green decks are really good for a lot of beginners. Um, but not every deck works out that way because you might not understand the theme super well and you might not have a lot of the tools or the pieces or heck even the creative outlet that you want to go through and say all right perfect I know exactly what to do here but those pre-cons give you a taste of it get you started playing and get you a fully valid and legal deck for commander to play and I know it's not super budget but it is budget enough because you're spending I think it's 45 MSRP at a local big box store to go buy yourself a commander deck. And that's a commander deck that you can play around your kitchen table. It's a commander deck that you can use at your local gaming store. It's a commander deck that comes out of the box and is ready to use. And so budget, that's one thing, but simplicity, that is probably the biggest part with buying a pre-con that's out there. Now, I haven't bought any pre-cons um, since then. I have strictly just stuck to me building my own decks I uh that's just kind of my go-to thing and whenever I was getting a bunch of my friends into the game I said hey listen we're gonna go to a local gaming store we're gonna go to Walmart we're gonna go I'm gonna show you the Magic the Gathering decks we're gonna pick up a pre-con I'm gonna teach you how to play Elder Dragon Highlander or Commander we're gonna have some fun and that was an enjoyable experience and honestly it's a deck that you can kind of keep around forever because with Commander Outside of a few bans that happen, which some of them are kind of stupid bans, but really you guys do whatever you feel like around your kitchen table, your deck is eternal. You can play with it as long as you want to. Um, every card that's been printed outside the silver bordered ones are legal. And uh, yeah, have some fun. So for simplicity's sake, that's an easy, cheap-ish way to go through and get access to a fully functional magic deck to play commander with now stick around i'm going to go ahead and talk to you about different archetypes and different ways to be budget for commander
So there are a couple of ways that you can go and approach building on a budget for Commander. Um, one of the ways is that you can say, listen, I'm not going to spend more than X dollars or cents on a card. Now, if you were to go through, hypothetically speaking, and you were to build a deck of magic, like for EDH, and you were to have your 100 card deck, if you would spend 25 cents or less on your deck, hypothetically speaking, with every single card, then you would have a $25 deck, and that is budget. Now, the upside and the downside of that is that the upside is your basic lands are typically usually free. You're getting those in fat packs. Your LGS might have a ton of them that they're more than willing to part with. Uh, might have friends who have a ton of different lands. And really, you're needing, I don't know, about a third of your deck is usually lands. Now, I run anywhere from 24 to 33 lands um, in my commander decks, depending on which commander I'm playing. If one of them is more land-centric, if the other one's got better ramp, what colors they're playing, that all goes to a factor. But just keep in mind that that's a huge chunk, it's a huge portion of your deck that you get to save a couple bucks on. So what you want to do is pick yourself a legendary creature, and that is going to be your commander. Then build your deck around that specific commander, looking for effects or abilities that actually make it really good. There are some commanders that stand on their own two feet, there are some commanders that have just generic abilities, and there are some commanders that scream, build around me, and try to make something work here. Um, so for example, Talrand the Sky Summoner. Talrand is all about you playing um, counter spells, pretty much. Uh, actually, I think it's just instance of sorceries. Sorry, I don't have them in front of me here, I just I had a friend that used to play them. Um, but effectively, every time that you're countering somebody's spell, I believe it's just if you're playing Instance of Sorceries, you get to create Drake tokens. Now, that's a very easy thing to build around because there's a lot of different counter spells, there's a lot of Instance of Sorceries, and so that opens up a lot of possibility for you. Now, Talrand has got a little bit of a reputation around himself nowadays, so he's not the cheapest card in the world. I think he cost a couple bucks at the time of the recording of this episode. Um, price might go down, might go up, I don't know. But, uh, yeah, that's one thing to keep in mind is that if you're looking at building your budget commander, you might be spending a couple bucks on the commander because that's the part that is worth it. Now, if you look at a card like Riku of Two Reflections, one of my favorite commanders that I've built in a long time, um, I think he's sitting around, actually, I don't think he's 30 bucks. I think he's maybe like 23 bucks now for just the normal version of himself. And... Yeah, $23, that's kind of steep to somebody that is like, oof, I don't really know about this. Because I think I picked him up dirt cheap. I, I barely spent any money on Riku at the time that I got him. Maybe it was a couple bucks. I think I got him from a friend. I don't remember how I got a hold of him. But anyway, I got him. He's a whole lot more expensive now. But if you're wanting to build around that commander, just know that your budget has to account for your commander. Now, he does something that is unique. He counters, or he copies spells and creates tokens all on himself and is playing in the teamer colors. Very hard to find another teamer commander that does the same exact thing that he does um, and has a powerful effect like he does too. So keep that in mind when you're building budget, your commander most likely will be one of the more expensive options of your deck. And so all that money you're saving on basic lands not costing you anything, those couple bucks that you get to save on the overall budget for your deck, make sure that you make it worth it. And if your commander is the more expensive part, then make sure that they're there and make sure you have spells and abilities that actually make it worth it to play them. Marin Clan of Nel Toth is another one of those examples where she essentially stands on her own two feet and screams, build around me. Um, she was from the pre-con deck that I had picked up years ago. Um, 
and now I think she's like maybe 13, 12 to $13, um, I think on TCG player, um, not entirely sure. I, I haven't looked at the price exactly, but last time I saw it, that was about where I was sitting. And, uh, for me, I definitely think she's worth it because she wants things to die. She can easily get things back and she's a very powerful commander, but there are other commanders that do something similar where they want to be playing in the graveyard. Um, they may not be playing the exact recursion ability. They might be playing an extra color or they might not be playing an extra color. Maybe they're playing mono black, but you have to figure out what exactly you want your commander to do and see if there are other, other budget options to this specific commander you're looking at. Look at those popular commanders like Marin, like Mizzix. Look at the popular commanders like Golos um, or some of these other guys and gals that are out there or just ethereal beings and uh, make sure you pick them up if you, there are nobody else to replace them but keep in mind they're a big budget piece too your commander that you choose is huge now i mentioned talran the sky summoner earlier but there is somebody who is pretty close to being as powerful as he is and that is noyandar the royal shaper now, Noyandar is like 35 cents as a legendary creature. He costs one white, one blue, and then I think it's three of any other color. And he's just a little merfolk dude that just hangs out there. And every time you cast a instant and sorcery, you get to put plus one, plus one counters on a target land that you can control. And, but essentially you cast an instant sorcery and rather than you create a flying Drake token, you get to put plus one, plus one counters on the land. The land becomes a creature, and now you've got a giant threat for your opponents to have to deal with. For a lot of my friends out there that want to play a control deck and do something proactive with their control deck, this is a great option because every time you play a card draw spell, that is an instant or sorcery. Every time you counter somebody's spell, um, you're playing an instant, and you get to go through and put plus one, plus one counters on lands. You can then go through and start putting some uh, plus one, plus one counters on lands, and even look at lands that are indestructible, um, like the new artifact lands that came out that are dual colors, um, that are indestructible. Great, you've got that option right there. Um, otherwise, you've got like cards like Dark Steel Citadel, which has been a mainstay in my Noyandar decks in the past, where I now have a colorless, indestructible land that if you try to do anything to kill it, it's not gonna really work out for you. Now, I'm a big fan of the fact that you can save some money on having a cheap commander, and then maybe you could put a little bit more towards that budget cost to the other 99 in the deck, or less than that since you're gonna be including lands in there. Just know that typically, one of the big costs that come with commander is lands. If you're playing a multicolored deck, you're probably gonna be paying a little bit more on the lands to make sure you have the color fixing that is necessary. You don't need to break the bank, you can play a slower level, you don't necessarily need to be play playing fetch lands or pain lands or any of the rest of those things unless you're really wanting to get competitive with your EDH. But I know a lot of people who don't. There's a lot of people on the power level that say, ah, I don't care if my land comes in tapped or not, I'm just gonna let it play as it plays. But I don't necessarily know what budget you're looking for for your specific deck, but that is one way you can kind of look towards it and say, all right, I'm going to spend X amount of money on this card, whether or not you're using euros or you're using dollars and cents here in the US or Canadian dollars or whatever you're going with there. You choose what your budget's going to be and you choose what the, uh, the price is going to look like for you there. I would highly, highly, highly recommend that you do not crack packs to try and find the staples that you need. Uh, but if you are somebody who is getting started in the beginning, that's a decent place to start off is see what legendary creatures you have from your booster packs and try to build around those. Look what's in your collection already and try to save some money that way and see what you can fit into there. 
Now, the guys and gals over the command zone have several different videos they put out um, where they talk about the the deck building template. Uh, they had one in the past where essentially they told you, hey, you want to have 10 mana ramp, you want to have 10 card draw, and you want to have 10 pieces of removal in there. That would be single target removal, five of those, and then five uh, board wipes to kind of deal with multiple targets there. They changed their structure a little bit with their newest one. I forget the exact ratio, but I'm pretty sure they really emphasized ramp um, a whole lot more this time around and a lot more single target removal rather than looking at board wipes too. However you decide you want to build your deck, whether or not you want to follow a template or not, heck, I might put one out in the future, um, depending on where I'm at there, but um, that is something that you can go look at and have a good time with figuring out, okay, this is what I need to include in the deck. Just try to make sure that you're keeping your cards within the budget. Now, if you happen to find some cards that are really dirty, dingy, you beat up, or maybe you get them for free, maybe you find them in a bulk box or whatever, then great. You may have just saved yourself money because every penny counts when you're working on a budget. And when it comes to your cardboard that you're putting down on the table, it may not be worth it to go above and beyond and find the foil print of a giant growth. Which brings me out to the idea of bringing your deck out. If you're going to be on a budget, don't feel like you have to buy all these special, super cool-looking editions um, of cards. You know, you don't need to be chasing a foil. You don't need to be chasing an alternate art card. You don't need to be chasing a bunch of these things because when it comes down to it, at the end of the day, whatever card you're going to play, your opponent's going to see that and it's just going to be a threat for them to destroy, whether it looks nice or not. And from my history, from me playing with other people, usually if a card looks nice, looks cool, and looks really blinged out, chances are it's probably a favorite card of that player, and it's not going to be long for this world. So be careful that when you put when you bling your deck out, you might be a target, or that specific permanent might be a target. I found this out myself because I blinged out my Geist of St. Traff deck that used to be a Tiny Leaders deck, and then I brought it over to become a Commander deck. Uh, I just had pretty much almost just about every single card minus some of the lands they were all foiled out and every time I played somebody saw the deck they're like "Ooh, this guy really cares about this deck and I had a target on my back fortunately Geist was a Voltron style deck um, he was not a very powerful Voltron style deck for this format compared to other ones like Tiny Leaders so I got my butt handed to me quite a bit so be careful when you are playing on a budget that if you are foiling things out that are budget options you might have a hard time. And the other tip that's kind of similar to Noyandar versus the Talran Sky Summoner idea is that you might want to look for alternate budget options to certain cards. Now, if you want to spend $25 and pick up one copy of Cryptic Command, be my guest. Feel free, go ahead and do that. But what you might want to do instead is see, all right, well, are there other cards that do something similar to Cryptic Command? How are you planning on using Cryptic Command? Now, the reason it's so expensive is because it's a modern staple. It's extremely powerful. Um, I've played with them myself. I think they're really good cards. And it's modal. It's got multiple options for you. It could be a bounce spell. It could be a card draw spell. It could be a counter spell. You know, you've got a lot of good options there. I think the other one's tap. Tap a bunch of things down spell. I don't remember. But anyway, it's a powerful spell. I only use the uh, the return, the or I only use the balance, the card draw, and the counter spell portion of the card. So that's essentially what that does. Now you want to look and see, okay, well, what kind of removal do I need? Do I need more counter spells, or do I need spells that can bounce cards and draw a card? So if that's the case, if you need a card that maybe bounces something and draws you a card, instead of getting a twenty-five dollar cryptic command, maybe you can look and go pick yourself up a twenty-five cent. Um,
blink of an eye, which costs one blue, one of any other color, and then you can kick it to pay another blue and another one of a color, and now you essentially bounce something and drawn a card. Otherwise, it's just one blue, one of the other color, instant speed, return a non-land permanent back to its owner's hand. That is the power that comes in there because rather than paying $25, you're now paying 25 cents and you just saved yourself some money. So figure out your budget for your deck. I just threw 25 out there because a quarter a card is not a very hard thing to achieve. And if you're building a cheap commander, it could be fairly easy for you to go through and say, all right, perfect. If I'm running pretty much all basic lands, I just got myself a bunch of dollars here for free. And then now you just got to worry about filling out the rest of the 99 and getting yourself a squad of, sorry, squad, <laughs> I think I'm Warhammer here. You get yourself a nice little package that fits very well with your commander, whether or not they're a reanimator style deck, whether they are control, whether or not they are aggro, Voltron, token, whatever you decide to go with there, the rest of that money can be saved and used for the rest of the deck for some powerful pieces. But I could really recommend, go check out some sites like EDH Rec. I wouldn't exactly post what or use their decks straight up you can look for ideas find some cards you think might be cool but don't be afraid to go to your local gaming store don't be afraid to look through your friend's bolt collection or even your bolt collection as well too to see what cards might be out there that you can build some cheap little decks off of that maybe you can give away to friends or maybe you can just have for yourself to play when you don't feel like playing your other main decks so that's my advice around some of the ideas on building for a budget the next part I want to talk to you about, though, is certain archetypes that might be considered more budget and might be easier for beginners to start playing with and have some fun with. So while there are many different ways you can go about building a budget deck, another way that I can say... Um, and personally, it's one that I've done a lot of times um, as far as getting your deck on a budget is building your deck over time. Starting at a low power level, getting just at least 100 cards slapped together in a deck and then tuning it over the months and the years and every set release that you can. Now, what I mean by this is that you can build a common archetype, you know, for your deck, or rather you can do what makes Commander set itself apart from every other format. And the reason that most people probably are playing Commander compared to other formats is your Commander's identity. You have a color identity that you are kind of putting behind your entire deck, and you usually have like an effect your Commander does that actually makes you want to play them, get them on the battlefield, and help kind of turn on your deck. Um, so... One of two ways you can do this is you can either decide, I want to play a specific color um, or a group of colors. So like if you want to play Bant, blue, white, green, you can definitely do that. There's a lot of Bant commanders out there, and there's a lot of good value Bant commanders out there too. Now, Jannara Sur of War was one that I've done this with, and me personally, I do like her. I've built the Voltron deck with her, and I've had a lot of fun with it. But if you're like, hey, I want to do this because I want to make a weird like token deck using blue, white, and green, you can definitely use that and just use her as a placeholder. That is you saying, I want to go with the token archetype that is found in blue, white, green, and Janara is just my placeholder commander. She's not super powerful, uh, but she is a easy, cheap commander. I can get out there and she can kind of stand on her own two feet. 
that's something I've done. And eventually I did kind of tweak the deck, change it around, and then I did get a different commander to fit that. Um, but another one that you can also look at is looking at your specific commander that you want to play with, slapping 100 cards together, and then over time, build that deck, tune that deck, and get it to where you want it to be. Um, because you may just have a ton of cards in your collection. You might not. You might have a lot of friends who have a ton of cards in their collection that they're willing just to kind of part with that just fit with your color, and you can definitely do that. The example I'm kind of using here is my General Tazri deck. Um, General Tazri from the Oath of Gatewatch was the long sought after ally commander that a lot of commander players were looking at for the tribe. Now, I just recently took her apart because I stripped the deck for some other um, decks that I was building at the time, but I've had the deck since I first started building, and it was a very easy card to kind of go around. General Tazri, she costs one white mana, four of any other color. When she enters the battlefield, then you get to go search your library for an ally card and put it into your hand. And then she also has the other ability of Wooburg, and then, um, so essentially white, blue, black, uh, red, and green. If you pay that mana cost there, all of your creatures get, or it's either all your creatures or all your allies. I think it's all your allies gets plus X plus X for the colors found among allies that you can control. So you can essentially make it say, all right, well, I'm paying five mana to give all of my team plus five plus five because I was running only allies in the deck. And that was, that was it. Um, I used a bunch of allies that I had from Oath of Gatewatch and Battle for Zendikar. Were they very good? No, not really. But over time, I started kind of picking things up. Back in the Puka trade days, I was utilizing that to trade some cards and also get some allies. And uh, I started picking up the allies from older sets. So I started getting some from the World Wake sets. I started getting some from the original Zendikar sets. So when they entered the battlefield, they before Rally was Rally, they effectively said, hey, if you have an ally enter the battlefield, you get to put a plus one, plus one counter on them and then do this. So things like... Um, Gosh, why can't I think of their names right now at the top of my head? But there, there were a lot of them that would say, hey, you're going to go through, and this guy gets plus one, plus one, um, and then also has trample. You know, every time an ally enters the battlefield, the other ones are just like, oh, put a plus one, plus one counter on there. Um, Kazandu Blademaster was by far one of my favorites. He wasn't very good, but I really love the card. I love the way it looks. And I think it's pretty good design, you know. Got first strike, and then it's a white-white, and then you get to put two plus one, plus one counters on him every time an ally enters the battlefield. He just gets really big, really strong, and really powerful. Um, and I just started kind of blending a lot of the cards over time. And if they happen to have ally printed on them, then I started throwing them in the deck just to say, listen, I want to get as many allies as I can. And then as I played the deck over time, I realized some allies weren't super powerful. And there were some that I said, you know, if I draw this thing, I'm not super stoked to see it. And so I started trimming the fat more or less and getting rid of some of the allies that were not necessarily the ones that I wanted. And uh, that really helped me out with kind of building my deck and keeping on a budget because I wasn't spending a ton of money. I was getting an opportunity to build around my commander and kind of tune things as time went on. Now, I went through, when I was building my Hazes on Tamar deck, I literally, I just, that was the deck that I said, listen, I'm buying this card. He's not super cheap. Um, so I used a lot of my in-store credit, you know, at my local gaming store at the time. Got myself that Hazes on Tamar. And then I made sure that before I ever built a deck with him, I had every card I needed to make the deck work. I made it as optimal as I could. I made sure that every piece that I wanted for the deck was already there. And then I didn't feel like, oh man, I really need to go pick up another card for this deck. Once I got it, it was complete. 
And it was not a budget way to do that. Now, granted, he's an expensive Legends card. He's not getting reprints or anything like that. Um, but that's something to keep in mind is that you're building your deck around the commander. Maybe it's one you went out and you spent some money on and you bought. And you can upgrade over time. Or maybe it was one from your collection already. And I've done this with a lot more of my decks. You know, my Arcanist the Omnipotent deck. My mono blue kind of draw card engine. Um... I, I just looked through what I had in my library. I said, well, he's a mono blue commander. He draws cards. So he's pretty good just standing on his own two feet. He's not like extraordinarily powerful. He's not going to break any formats, but he'll be just somebody fun. I think value enough to bring to the table. Well, as I was looking through my library, or not my library, but my collection of cards, I realized I had a lot of blue cards that allowed me to steal my opponent's stuff. And so essentially I named the deck Mr. Steal Your Stuff. Arcane Sound Tip is the leader, and I've been slowly adding to it where I'm getting a bunch of effects that either allow me to clone my opponent's stuff or just outright steal their things with cards like Mind Control and Threads of Disloyalty. It's been super fun to be able to kind of throw that together, and over time, it has gotten better. It's gotten more efficient. Now, you might be super amazed to come to find that a lot of these small, just budget decks where you just you spend the most on your commander, and then you just throw a bunch of kind of jank cards in the deck to start with, your power level is going to be extremely low, and you're going to kind of not really have a very well-formed or focused or tuned deck. This is not something I would necessarily say, like, if you're a brand new, you have no cards in your collection, this is not the way to go. But if you're somebody who's already an established Magic player, then this could be a good idea for you, because you might already have a bunch of cards that are just kind to sit by in your collection that may never see play a lot of common cards that maybe aren't super powerful a lot of cards that were budget bulk rares that maybe aren't going to see play somewhere else and you've got like one copy of it commander is a good format for you to go through and give them a try um and they don't necessarily be game breaking or anything and then as you slowly play the game you kind of move along the way you might come to find that you love the commander you're playing with or you hate them and uh there's a lot of times that I've played with commanders that I've picked them up like, wow, I really do want to make sure this thing works. Like uh, Mirith, Will of the Wild, I thought this was going to be an awesome deck, red, white, and green. Um, I thought it was a green-white player for the longest time. Come to figure out I'm more of a blue-white guy. I love that kind of the tempo and counter spell strategy and the spell slinger side of things. I really enjoy that. And Mirith was just not my jam. Zays on Tamar was a lot of fun, but the token upkeep and building up your giant army, it felt like the same exact thing over and over and over again. And honestly, it just wasn't super fun to play when I was going toe-to-toe -to -toe against my friends who were a little bit more casual. And so this might be something for you to look at is, you know, maybe spend the money on the commander, use cards that are already in your collection and build it up over time. Or better yet, use that budget, you know, um, idea that I was talking about earlier as far as put a budget to your deck, budget per car. Don't spend more than X amount of cents or dollars on a card. Then that is completely fine. Go with it if you can on that route and then slowly expand or build that deck up over time. If you feel like your power level of the play group you're playing with is a lot higher than yours, it might be. You might have to add some cards or do some tweaking and tuning to the deck, but that allows you to not spend a bunch of money just hands down you know, whenever you're like, okay, I'm going to buy all this stuff that's really good or supposedly pretty good, and then it doesn't fit in your meta, doesn't fit in your playgroups, or doesn't fit at your kitchen table very well. You know, an example of this that really helped me out is I had a bunch of cards. My um, The guy that taught me how to play Magic, my friend, and at the time he was my manager um, at the coffee shop we worked at, he was playing Avacyn, Angel of Hope. Now, Avacyn, she costs eight mana to get to the battlefield. 
all the guys in his play group pretty much already knew how she worked. She effectively, she hit the battlefield, and he played nothing but a bunch of wrath effects that just destroyed all creatures or all permanents or whatever. So, it effectively is a stacks deck that just kind of completely wiped out everybody's things, and he just had Avacyn and all of his permanents on the board because she's indestructible. Well, at the time, I didn't understand, you know, as a newer player, how indestructible, like, how to get around it. And then as I came to find out that oh, I gotta tune my deck a little bit to have cards that either do negative X, negative X, or maybe cards that allow me to exile, or cards that make him sacrifice permanence. I, I had to kind of build my decks in a different way, and so fortunately, I didn't have to spend a bunch of money on getting a bunch of cards that are really good at destroying things, just to turn around, replace those with cards that can exile other things. That was me tuning my deck to kind of fit within my meta, fit within my playgroup, and that might be your case as well. It might be your case as you're teaching new friends how to play the game, and it might be the case whenever you're teaching a bunch of people how to... Um, I don't know, play your local gaming store or whatnot. So that's kind of the idea for building a budget deck is start with your commander, just get a bunch of cards out of, either out of bulk, you know, or just fit it out of your um, your current deck boxes or all the rest of your cards within your like little storage containers or wherever you're keeping them at the time. Just your spare cards that aren't really seeing play. Build yourself a deck that's somewhat feasible or at least kind of functions. Make the commander the focal point and then slowly add or upgrade the deck over time to then make it more powerful. But that is what I have to say around just the budget side of things. Something you'll learn as you're playing. Um, and if you want to listen to other commander-specific podcasts, uh, folks like the Command Zone, which are really great, been around for a long time, and they got me into commander and helped me out a ton. You can check out some of their stuff where they talk about which archetypes are actually cheaper to build for commander, uh, which commanders might be budget. You know, the command quarters, uh, Mitch over there off of YouTube is great at showing a bunch of focused, tuned budget decks uh, that you can kind of build. And he's kind of been the pro at doing it and he's helped kind of kind of foster a lot of people to be on the budget commander side of things. So, and that is something you are considering and something you're really wanting to kind of get into and enjoy go check out some of their content as well too. They'll be able to help you because again, I'm not going commander specific. I might do commander spotlights, kind of like how I've been doing some card spotlights in the past, but that's not really where I'm going to be going. Not to mention Warhammer is kind of taking up most of my hobby time right now too. So that's where a lot of my focus has been at with the podcast, but also just in my downtime itself. So I'm glad I was able to kind of bring this magic to you guys today. Um, I really hope you guys enjoyed. If you want to hear more, if you have questions, comments, concerns, Hit me up, jhamspecial at gmail.com or jhamspecial on Twitter. That's the official email and Twitter for the podcast. Until the next time, you guys have fun with your cardboard crack, getting to draw cards off your library, taking care of your opponent's commanders, and I will see you on the next JM Special. Bye. Bye.